Welcome to the Christ Community Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this week's message, that it draws you closer to Jesus and helps you become more like Him. Good morning. After John was arrested, Jesus went to Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Terry. So, starting next week, we'll begin a series on prayer. Uh, As I talked through uh, the last couple of months of 2022, uh, this year, at least the beginning of this year, is going to be focused on spiritual practices. And so we began in the fall talking about Scripture, engaging with Scripture, reading Scripture, um, and letting it be our guide as God's Word, not worshiping the Bible, but letting it speak to us as the words of God. And so this year, we will begin by talking prayer. We're going to do a series on prayer, talking about first its foundations and how we understand prayer, uh, and then about practical ways to pray, so methods of prayer. And so that will be the first seven or eight weeks or so, uh, and then we'll talk and uh, jump into a series on generosity and giving. This is all part of a broader um, focus on spiritual disciplines and spiritual practices um, that we will talk about next Sunday afternoon at 3. All right. With our practices grid, we've got this tool that we've developed to help you engage in practices that build up your spiritual life. So, uh, incentive to come next Sunday at 3 uh, for the first meeting of Hillside. But today, I wanted to start the new year a little bit differently than that. I wanted to start the new year with talking about the heart of Christian belief, the heart of the profession of faith that we make in Jesus. And it begins with what Jesus preached himself. The most important thing Jesus preached is right here in Mark chapter 1. When Jesus goes out and begins to teach, and he says, The time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God has come near, repent and believe the good news. Repentance. This is where the Christian life begins. This is the starting point of a life with Jesus. We know that because it's what Jesus himself said. Now, these two verses here are the summary of Jesus' ministry according to the gospel writer Mark, according to the evangelist Mark. These two verses are the summary of Jesus' ministry. He begins with this and then goes on to flesh out all that Jesus did and taught. And so as the summary of Jesus' ministry, it means that these are extremely important words right here. Everywhere Jesus went when he was preaching, the content was, the kingdom of God has come, therefore repent and believe this good news. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the good news of Jesus Christ. It is truly that simple. A lot of us have developed a gospel, a good news of Jesus, that focuses so much on his death and resurrection that we forget Jesus preached the gospel himself in his life. And if we can't find the gospel, the good news, in the gospels, in the life of Jesus, then we've missed something. We've fallen short of the true gospel. Jesus' gospel is the kingdom of God has come. That's it. What he says next is the implication of that. The kingdom of God has come, therefore, now that word's not there, 
but that's what's implied between these two sentences. Therefore, repent and believe this good news. So we got to flesh some of this out. There's a lot of Christianese language here. It's not really Christianese because Jesus was using it, but today it's Christianese. It's words that you don't really hear outside of the church. The kingdom of God has come, therefore repent and believe. What do those words mean? What's the kingdom of God anyway? We have a lot of ideas about the kingdom of God and what it means to live in the kingdom of God or to be a part of the kingdom of God. When Jesus was preaching, the people that he was talking to had a very narrow definition of the kingdom of God. It was the kingdom of Israel. It was the kingdom of God's people. God's kingdom was the people that he had called out way back in the book of Exodus when he saved them from slavery in Egypt and draw them out to be his special chosen nation. That's what the kingdom of God meant to the mind of a faithful Jewish person at the time that Jesus is preaching. So when he says, the kingdom of God has come near, what he's saying is true Israel, God's people, God's rule and reign, God's kingdom is now present. That's what the kingdom of God was. But the kingdom of God meant something bigger than that, because Jesus can come into Israel and say, the kingdom of God has come near. And some people, you can imagine, would go, wait a minute. Aren't we already living in the kingdom of God? Like, we're, we're Jewish people. We're Israelites. We are the people of God. Now, on one hand, they might say, yeah, but we're under the thumb of Rome. Rome, the empire, is ruling over us. And so we're not able to be truly the people that God has called us to be. We're not free, therefore the kingdom of God is shackled, and so Jesus is saying, now I'm here to take the shackles off of the kingdom and to free you from this occupation and to make you everything God promised you would be. That's one understanding of what Jesus' proclamation might mean. Another understanding is much broader than that. Jesus comes and says, the kingdom of God has come near. And those people who believe that the temple in Jerusalem is corrupt, that the Jewish leadership, the religious leadership has sold out to Rome and they're corrupt, what Jesus is saying is, I am here to bring a new, pure, more true expression of faithfulness. I'm here to lead you into faithfulness to God and out out of the temple system that's corrupted away from the religious system and the religious leaders of this day that have been corrupted by Rome. I'm here to lead you into true freedom. Now, there were other splinter groups that were already doing this exact thing when Jesus comes preaching. There's a group called the Essenes that live around the Dead Sea. They were a separatist community from very early. They said, that temple, there's something wrong with those people. They are not faithful to God. We're going to go become our own faithful community, and we're going to separate out. And so in the minds of some people listening to Jesus, that's that's what he's saying. We are now going to be a separate community from the temple because the religious system that exists is so corrupt, we need to separate and become a new religious system. We need to become a pure people, and that's what the kingdom of God would mean. But I think based on everything that we see Jesus say later and based on all that comes later, when we read this, when Jesus says the kingdom of God has come near, what we can understand is what I think Jesus really meant, which is the king has come. The kingdom is here because the king is here. God's king, God's leader, God's ruler, God's chosen one, God's Messiah has come, and here I am. And when the true king comes, the kingdom has come near. 
And in this understanding, in this way of of reading the kingdom of God, we just mean the rule and reign of God over the earth, the rule and reign of Jesus over the earth. Everywhere that Jesus is king, his kingdom has come. Everywhere that Jesus has pushed out the spiritual forces that stand opposed to God's people, God's kingdom has come. The kingdom of God is here because the king is here. He has arrived to rule and to reign. And so Jesus goes and he begins preaching, the kingdom of God has come, therefore repent and believe. Now we're going to talk about that word repent in just a minute. I'm going to end on that. But first we've got to go to believe. What does it mean to believe? Now I think our common understanding of belief in our culture and our water world, even in evangelicalism, can be a little watered down, a lot watered down. For many of us, the word believe means I intellectually agree with this set of facts, or I intellectually agree with this set of propositions. And so you might say, I believe Jesus is Lord, meaning I believe those words are true, I think those words are true, I agree with them. But in the time and place of Jesus, this word that is translate believe, pistuo, to put faith in, to believe in, is something much bigger than that. It really speaks to the allegiance of the heart. It gets down to what our primary allegiance is. Who am I allied to? Who, who's, who is my highest priority? What, what am I most committed to in the world? This is a word that would be used of of patrons and the people that they supported, or of masters and apprentices. You would believe in, you would put your, give your allegiance to a master or a king or a patron who would support you in your trade. And so when Jesus comes and says, repent and believe, because the kingdom of God has come, the king is here, what he's saying in believe is, put your faith in me, put your allegiance in me. Give your allegiance to the king, not to the temple system, not to the religious culture, not to the people around you, but to King Jesus. The king has come and he demands your allegiance. If you're going to be part of the kingdom of God, you have to put your faith in the king. You have to give your allegiance to the king. If you want to be a citizen of the kingdom of God, you have to pledge allegiance to its king. That's what it means to believe. And all throughout the Old Testament, we are shown through the prophets, the people who speak on behalf of God, the prophets come and they're continually saying, turn away from your idols, the things you put your faith in, the things you've given your allegiance to, and instead turn back to God. Give him your allegiance. Put your faith in him, not in the idols that you've been following. And Jesus is using that exact same language here. He's saying, you've put your allegiance, you've put your faith in the temple, you've put your faith in the culture, you've put your faith in your practice. Now the king is here telling you, put your faith in me. Give me your allegiance. Turn away from those things because they become for you idols where you're worshiping the things and the systems rather than the king who gave them to you to point to himself. So to believe in this case, is to give your allegiance to King Jesus, to turn your heart, to incline yourself instead of to these other things, to 
incline yourself to turn your heart to Jesus, to the King, to give yourself to Him. And that requires repentance. And so we come to this word, repent. All throughout the Old Testament, the word that is often translated repent really just means turn. It means literally to turn around, to turn away. And so throughout the Old Testament, especially in the prophets, you'll often read the prophets saying to the people, turn. Sometimes the prophets will repeat that word multiple times. So our English Bible will say, repent, turn. It's really the same word in Hebrew. Turn, turn. Repent, repent. It's their way of emphasizing. To turn to God is to turn away from other things. To turn to God is to turn away from the idols and the allegiances and the sins that have ruled my life and instead give my full allegiance to God my King, to Yahweh my King, my Master. That's what it means to repent. It means to turn away. And the great thing about this passage in Mark is right after we read this summary of Jesus, we see an example of this, and it might shock you. As he passed along the Sea of Galilee, as Jesus passed along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, Simon's brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Follow me, Jesus told them, and I will make you fish for people. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Going a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, putting their nets in order. Immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. I bet you've never thought about this as an instance of repentance. But that's what's happening. Jesus has just come saying, the kingdom of God has come, therefore repent and believe the good news. And then immediately we're shown an example of Jesus walking along the sea, looking at Simon and Andrew out there and saying, hey guys, come and follow me. And what do they do? They drop what they're doing and they follow Jesus. And then he sees John and James. Their situation is even more intense because they're apprenticed to their father. They're younger than Simon and Andrew. They're still working for their dad. They're learning the trade that they're going to take over from their father. And Jesus says to these boys, hey, come and follow me. And immediately they drop the nets, leave their dad and his hired hands, and follow Jesus. They are repenting. They are turning from their way of life and the thing that they are doing right then to go follow Jesus. Now, here's the crazy thing. What they were doing was not wrong or sinful in any way. They were doing what was expected of them. They were doing what the law of Moses told them they should do, honoring their parents, taking up the trade, following in their father's footsteps, learning and going to support their families and care for their community. That's the good Jewish boys that they were. They were doing good things. But for them, in that moment when Jesus comes and says, the kingdom of God has come, follow me, and they drop their nets, they are repenting. They are turning away from the thing that they are doing to follow Jesus. Because repentance is not only about sin and the wrong that we do. Repentance is about turning from whatever path we are on to follow Jesus, to give him everything to give him control and leadership and lordship over our lives. And so repentance will necessarily entail giving up good things to chase after the best thing in Jesus. There will be times when God calls us to repent of what we are doing, not because it is sinful in the moment, but because he's got something better for us to do. 
He's got a better plan for us. And it doesn't become sin until we disobey. But when we're doing something good, and we hear the voice of God saying, you need to drop that thing and come follow me, that's when it becomes sin if we don't do it. Because we're disobeying God. Now for these guys, it was both an honor and terrifying to follow Jesus right now. Jesus was a rabbi. And in this world, at this time, you grew up, if you were a young boy in Judea, you grew up and you went through school and you learned and you, you had levels of schooling. And basically, like, if you were good enough, you would move to the next level of schooling. And then if you were good enough, you'd move beyond that. And then if you were really good enough, you might be picked up by a rabbi. A rabbi might say, hey, come, follow me and learn my way of life. The fact that these boys are apprenticed to their dad and that Simon and Andrew are running their own fishing business tells us they didn't make the cut. They weren't good enough students to be picked up by a rabbi. But then Rabbi Jesus comes walking along and says, hey, guys, come on, you're good enough for me. I'll take you. Drop those nets and come with me. And all of a sudden, these boys who were passed over have this great honor and opportunity of following a rabbi. They get to be chosen. And it's amazing. And their hearts have to be leaping. But it's also a little scary because there's security in those fishing nets. They know what to expect in that life. They know what a fisherman's life is going to be. Right? It's not easy, but it's predictable. And I understand it. And the Sea of Galilee is rough and hard to live on, but I've been on it my whole life. And there's some security and comfort in that. But I don't know what's going to happen if I follow this rabbi. I have no idea what's going to happen if I go with Jesus. And so they lay down their security. They lay down their futures. They lay down their lives and their predictability to follow Rabbi Jesus. This greatest honor and greatest fear as they follow him. Now, for many of us, this may be the case. Jesus, we hear the call of Jesus. We hear the call that the kingdom of God has come. Jesus, our king, is here and calls for our allegiance. And God says to us in that moment, it's time to step away from that thing you're doing. I went to seminary with a guy who was in his early 40s. He had been a professor of architecture at the University of Illinois. Felt the call of God left his tenured position at the University of Illinois as a professor of architecture to move to Boston and to come to seminary and to study to become a pastor because he felt like that was what God was calling him to him, a missionary, no less, to become a pastor in a place and a culture that he did not know and had not grown up in because Jesus called him to it. There was so much security, Right? So much security and predictability in that job. And I can't tell you how many people in seminary I met like this. Successful careers. And then God said, you know what? It's time for you to put that to the side and to come follow me. And for some of us, that'll be the case. Now, that's radical. Right? That's not normal. And I don't want to in any way diminish the ordinary faithfulness of people who work in the marketplace. If you are here and you love Jesus and you are working in the marketplace and you are serving him there, you are honored and blessed as much as any missionary out on the field. 
You are honored and blessed as much as anybody who laid aside their secular job in order to go do a church job or a ministry job, okay? There's no level of spiritual hierarchy here, okay? You are as needed and as loved and as blessed and honored as anybody who gave their lives to vocational ministry. And so the call of Jesus to you might be to get really uncomfortable where you are. The call to Jesus for you might not be lay down your career, but to start practicing in a way that is in line with the kingdom of God and its principles. To more vocally and actively own your faith in Jesus. To be a stronger and better witness where you are. Or to say no to certain opportunities because they would violate the principles of the kingdom of God. To say no to something lucrative that might violate your conscience or violate what God has called you to. Or simply to say no to partnering with certain people because it might lead you into places you don't want to go. The call of Jesus will be to repent, which is to turn away from anything that is not in line with what he's calling us to. And for all of us, the call to repent will mean to turn away from our sin which is to turn away from everything in our lives that doesn't look like Jesus. If Jesus is God in the flesh, if he is the revelation of who God is, if he is holiness, walking with skin on, then our deepest desire needs to be to be like Jesus. And to repent is to turn away from everything in my life that doesn't look like Jesus. Every practice, every behavior, every thought, to lay it aside. To repent, which is to say that thing, that way I behave, that way I've acted, that way I've lived, the things that I've chosen to do, they don't look like Jesus. This is not how Jesus would live in my skin. And so I turn from that thing, laying aside my sin. There is no life with Jesus where we leave unchanged. If the Christian life for us means simply saying a prayer or coming to church, but then living the exact same way I always have, then it's not the life of Jesus. It is not following Jesus. It's not a life of repentance. You see, repentance is not a one-time act. It's not a simple prayer that we pray. It's not the sinner's prayer where I ask Jesus into my heart and woohoo, I'm saved, I'm a Christian. That's not what Christianity is. Christianity is a life of daily repenting, turning toward Jesus, laying everything down at the king's feet and saying, King, here I am. Take me. Giving everything that I am to him and allowing myself to be led by King Jesus. That is the life of repentance, and that is the daily life of the follower of Jesus. It is a constant practice to ask ourselves, what am I doing that isn't in line with Jesus? What are the things in my life that don't reflect Jesus? What are the decisions I'm making or the things that I'm practicing, the things that I'm doing that don't reflect Jesus? Right now in my life, most often that happens when I yell at my kids. I get impatient with them. I get frustrated with them. And I'll tell you what, I'm one of those people my emotions run high pretty much all the time. I'm a very emotional person. I like to be happy. I like to be loud. I like to enjoy life. I also, unfortunately, when the anger emotions come, they get big too, right? 
and they can kind of overcome me. And calm people drive me nuts, right? People who are calm all the time and can speak in that calm voice and like, it drives me crazy because I want to yell. I want to get loud. I want to, I want to be, you know, put on a show, right? And the people who are like, Brandon, let's just breathe. Or who can talk to their kids when their kids are being absolutely bratty. You know who you are. Who can like look at their bratty kid and be like, okay, now we need to take a break and calm our bodies. I'm like, shut your face, kid. Right? That's my, that's my habit. Right? That's not Jesus. The calm person is more like Jesus than I am. And so for me in my life right now, most often when I'm evaluating, am I really living like Jesus? Am I following Jesus? It's in those moments. When my anger takes over and my unrighteous anger expresses itself in impatience and frustration, when the fruit of the Spirit are not evident in me, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Right? In my life right now, that's, that's where I see daily repentance. Where is it for you? What in your life right now doesn't reflect Jesus? Where in your life are those fruit of the Spirit not showing up? Is it in a lack of joy? If so, we look around at the circumstances and we ask, is there anything I'm doing to hinder my joy? Or is it the circumstances around me? We take an honest assessment of our world. Maybe it's impatience. Am I being patient with the world around me? What's causing my impatience right now? Is it something I need to repent of? Do I need to turn from something? Am I on my phone too much and that's making me impatient with other people? Because I'm in my own world and in my own head. Am I not being kind? Am I not reflecting the kindness of Jesus to the people around me? Am I short and hot-tempered and frustrated with them, and so it's killing my kindness? What in my life do I need to repent of now? And when we all repent... When, when we all come to the feet of King Jesus and we have turned from those things, we've turned from our idols, we've turned from our sin, we've turned from even the good things that keep us away from Jesus, the, when we have turned away, when we all as a community come, the Bible has some promises that it's made. And this is really the amazing part because we think of repentance as an individual act. We think of repentance in terms of me and what I do and my sin. And sometimes we miss the community aspect of this. But the Bible knows very little of individualism. It knows almost nothing of individualism. The Bible was written in a collectivist culture to a collectivist people who lived in community with one another, who rarely did anything ever alone. And when the Bible, especially the Old Testament, makes promises to God's people, they are almost never to individuals. And if they are to individuals, they're for the sake and benefit of God's people at large. The promises to Abraham were not for Abraham's sake. They were for the sake of the people that he would father. And ultimately for the sake of the world, which would look upon the witness of the people he would father. And so when we look to the Bible, to the Old Testament, we look at these promises of God. What happens to a repentant people? What happens to a people who turn away from their allegiances to give themselves to King Jesus or to Yahweh, to God our King? And in Isaiah 55, we get one of the most beautiful pictures of what it looks like when a people together repent and turn to Yahweh their King. So I'm going to read the whole chapter. Just listen to this. Just let it, let it kind of wash over you. Come, everyone who is thirsty, come to the water, and you without silver, come, buy and eat. 
Come, buy wine and milk without silver and without cost. Why do you spend silver on what is not food and your wages on what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and you will enjoy the choicest of foods. Pay attention and come to me. Listen so that you will live. I will make a permanent covenant with you on the basis of the faithful kindnesses of David. Since I have made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander for the peoples, so you will summon a nation you do not know, and nations who do not know you will run to you. For the Lord your God, even the Holy One of Israel, has glorified you. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call to him while he is near. Let the wicked one abandon his way and the sinful one his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord so that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will freely forgive. For my thoughts are not your thoughts and your ways are not my ways. This is the Lord's declaration. For as high as heaven is higher than earth, so my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. For just as rain and snow fall from heaven and do not return there without saturating the earth and making it germinate and sprout and providing seed to sow and food to eat, so my word that comes from my mouth will not return to me empty, but it will accomplish what I please and will prosper in what I send it to do. You will indeed go out with joy and be peacefully guided. The mountains and hills will break into singing before you, and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. Instead of the thorn bush, a cypress will come up, and instead of a briar, a myrtle will come up. This will stand as a monument for the Lord, an everlasting sign that will not be destroyed. Now, back in chapter 55, Isaiah painted this picture of what the holy community would look like, of what a people faithful to God would look like. And here in 55, Isaiah is prophesying based on the promises of King David, the king to come. When you are faithful to King David, when you are faithful to the king that I am sending you, then all of the nations will come and worship me. All of the nations will come together and you will live in a fruitful land. You will have what you need. Your needs will be met. You will be my people. I will care for you. These are the promises of Isaiah 55. That when you come and you repent and you turn to me and you follow my king that I give you, your land will be fruitful, your people will be prosperous, and you will be cared for forever. And the nations will come and turn to me. And in John chapter 12, Jesus says, when I am lifted up, I will draw all the nations to myself. You and I sit here because King Jesus came and called us to repentance so that we can claim as a community and for our world these promises of Isaiah 55. This world that God envisioned where he rules and he reigns and the people are provided for and the land is fruitful and the people are cared for. This is the promise to us through our good King Jesus. If we will repent and turn to him and give our allegiance to Jesus, our King. On the basis not of the kindnesses of David, on the basis not of what we do ourselves, on the basis not of our own holiness and righteousness, but on the basis of the goodness of our King Jesus, who gave himself up for us, went to the cross to defeat the powers and rulers of the world and to defeat the sin that resides in our own heart and to make us his own. 
citizens of the kingdom of God, brothers and sisters to Jesus our Lord, and children of God the Father, indwelled and empowered by God's very Holy Spirit. That's the promise to you and me if we would turn from our sin, turn from our allegiances, and give it all to King Jesus. That's the life that is at hand for us, that's available to us, the life of flourishing in God our Savior. Thanks for tuning into the podcast this week. For more information on Christ Community Church in Southeast Denver, visit ChristCommunityDenver.org. 